Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's webinar. It's titled An Innovative Patient-First Vaccination Clinic Design. Uh, it's going to be presented by Dr. Joy Dobson, and I will tell you more about her in just a minute. Uh, I'm Mark Rabin from Kinexus. I'm going to be the host and moderator today. Uh, and again, thank you so much for being here. So with that, let me briefly introduce our presenter today, Dr. Joy Dobson. Um, she is a former anesthesiologist and critical care physician who now, as she says, restricts her practice to health system care. I think that's an interesting way of putting it. Um, she has held a variety of leadership roles and has been part of large-scale lean transformation in Saskatchewan. Since February, Joy has been part of the quality improvement team tasked with optimizing the vaccine rollout to 1.2 million citizens in the province. Um, so Joy will tell you a little bit more about her background and how she got into that work. But with that, let me turn it over again, Dr. Joy Dobson. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks, Mark. That's a very kind introduction. And um, as I said, we're going to talk a little bit about our patient-first vaccine clinic design. So just for those of you who might not know, Saskatchewan is a landlocked prairie province. The north has um, lots of trees and lakes, but virtually no people. And we like to pride ourselves as the birthplace of Medicare in Canada. And that means that through tax-funded um, tax system, we provide cradle-to-grave care for the 1.2 million citizens. And right now, we have a single health authority that looks after those 1.2 million people with 44,000 employees. They govern all acute care in the province and as well have been responsible for the last year and a bit now for all aspects of COVID care. And I am using the pictures and information today with permission from the Saskatchewan Health Authority. Um, so in Saskatchewan, as of this weekend, we are still in wave three of the pandemic, but looks like we might be starting to see some quiescence. We had been hampered by shortages of vaccine supply, but that is starting to increase. And we now have over 50% of adults with first dose of a vaccine in their arm. Canada took a delayed second dose strategy because of vaccine supply constraints. We have 5% of adults who are fully immunized with second doses and are just starting the rollout now for second doses. And that means we need another million plus needles into arms if we're going to, quote, finish the fight. That's the slogan we've given for the second um, dose strategy. So um, I always like to say that with lean, um, there are three voices you need to hear. And the first and most important is the voice of the customer. And so in Canada, there has been great demand for vaccines because we know it's our way out of this pandemic. And of course, the customer for any service wants not just a great outcome, but also a great experience while they're receiving the service or good. Um, for the voice of the process, for what is possible, um, right now in Saskatchewan, those 44,000 employees are pretty exhausted and starting to burn out. We've been calling on the same people over and over again for every different phase of this pandemic. Um, and we need to find a way to try and spare our healthcare workers. And the last voice that is a factor is the voice of the business, you know, and, and does it make sense to be doing what you're doing? And certainly, we all know the best economic recovery is when the pandemic is beat. But in Saskatchewan, that means taxpayers are bearing all the costs. So there is some um, fiscal concerns as well about managing our vaccine program. So I'm going to do something I learned recently from the military, which is called bottom line up front. So this is one of my last slides. It's a summary of what you're going to learn and hear about. The beauty of this patient first model is that it truly is customer friendly. And no matter how you run a vaccine clinic, the customer leaves with the same outcome, a needle in their arm. But it's important that they have a good experience as well. And we know that this provides a better experience to the client. Um, it's adaptable to any immunizer cycle time, and any clinic size, as you will hear. You will find 
a much reduced need for supplies, for skilled staff, and for space. And you, again, you will hear in Saskatchewan when we were renting um, private facilities in order to run this, that was important. And bottom line, my version of a 3P design, it's better for patients, providers, and payers. And as someone who has a needle in her arm now, who is a healthcare provider and is a taxpayer, I love that. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of my personal timeline. Of course, there are 44,000 people involved in this work and a QI team of 28 people. And I was asked to join them on February 5th. It meant I was seconded from my um, work with 3S Health, another health organization in the province, to the Saskatchewan Health Authority's, quote, readiness team. We've since been redubbed the optimization team. And it was our job to ensure that the plan to have 206 separate clinics across the entire province were ready if needed to go live on March 15th. So we had about a month to make sure that we were ready. And I'll remind you that across the province means a geographic area the size of Texas. Um, the real goal though, was that we could safely and efficiently ramp up as our vaccine supplies increased because at the time we weren't really having to do a lot to get needles into arms with the few doses we had available. And we weren't starting this work from scratch, though. We had learned a lot through our COVID testing centers on how you manage a drive-through or an, a walk-up clinic. We had run flu vaccine clinics as a way to try and blunt the demand on our acute care health system. We had run some early COVID vaccine clinics when we got our first supplies in December for healthcare workers and vulnerable populations. And the team had already provided a readiness package based on the seven flows of medicine. So we had a checklist of what needed to be done ready to go. And you might have guessed Saskatchewan is not new to continuous improvement and lean. And just like Toyota, we know that the eighth waste is the most important one, the waste of human potential. So we already had an ideas process where people were expected to submit ideas and get them implemented. And so February 10th, there was an idea site. And this was one of many, because I'm never short of ideas, that I submitted to the SHA on a, a U-cell model. And this was just... This is my coffee table, actually, in my living room. And you can see little Cheerio box cutouts, um, a red cross that's meant to be a nurse immunizer, a white piece of paper that's meant to be a six-foot-long table for physical distancing, and a little cardboard square that's a client coming in to get what they need. And the reason we came up with this idea at all is because we knew we had a big problem to solve. If we were going to be able to ramp up our vaccine delivery system, we were gonna to need to do things better and differently. At that time, our cycle times for immunizers were 10 minutes. And we had done a little bit of modeling with just a PowerPoint display that showed if your cycle times for immunizers are 10 minutes, you've only got a couple people for each immunizer sitting in an observation area. But if you ramp up to the two-minute cycle times we knew were possible in many other places, we were quickly going to run out of space, and we were also going to feel a real pinch on the number of immunizers we had available. So this was just a little PowerPoint demonstration of 10 clients in a registration area, 10 dots, which are immunizers, each with a client in front of them. And then a very crowded observation area with two-minute cycle times. And we realized that if you took those same 10 immunizers and had them move client to client, um, that way you could fit all of the people in that same footprint with physical distancing and patient-first model and that the client was not having to move from chair to chair to chair. So. That's what started us. And on March the 2nd, we'd been part of the Vaccine Nexus group of sharing ideas with anyone in the world we could learn from. 
And we did a little demo on what we thought was our patient first model and how it might work. Um, this time there were a few more Cheerio box cardboard cutouts and it was on my dining room table. Um, and just like today, Mark um, recorded the session and the link to it is available and you'll be able to see the slides there. Um, but it's as um, Karen Ross said, Kaizen and its true spirit, quick and dirty, just play it out and see what you think. Our, our idea was that the registration staff would be the first to arrive at the client station. They would be followed by the immunizer. Maybe the registration clerk would have some more paperwork to finish off. Then the client would stay in that same chair for the observation period and leave. And by the time the registration team and immunizer had gone around their U-cell, the first client was gone, the station had been cleaned by an environmental services worker and they could just continue their work. And we did plan to pilot that um, in mid-March, but we kind of got distracted by a snowstorm and then the city where I live being locked down because of an outbreak and saying no travel allowed. And we were asked to open a no appointment drive-through in a space that just two days earlier had been our testing center. So we got a little distracted. Um, our drive-throughs are a whole nother story. <laughs> we can tell another time, but... Um, we did, though, also hear through Mark and Vaccine Nexus about some other Canadians who were doing something very similar. And Dr. Ian Era, who's a public health physician and CEO of Grey Bruce County in Ontario, developed a hockey hub model that, in fact, was pitched to our national um, vaccine logistics team with General Hillier at the time. And it basically was our same patient first design, but without the roving registration. And it was designed for large scale mass immunization sites. And of course, every Canadian town is a hockey rink. So it was pretty easy to, to pitch. And their website has incredible information. It's all available if you just Google it. It's Grey Bruce County where it started. And this is a mock-up of the hockey rink and what they had as their plan, the registration tables at one end of the rink, a sort of lineup of um, ready to go on deck circles, if you like, and then 150 pods manned by just five immunizers with a reconstitution team and a resuscitation bay at the end of the rink and a roving team with an immunizer and a support person going from pod to pod, putting a needle in an arm. And they had done a lot, a lot of improvement work. And as a consequence, one hockey rink, one day open for 10 hours, did almost 3,500 doses um, with those five nonstop immunizers roving through the 150 pods. Now, that means a cycle time for their immunizers of under one minute pretty impressive. Remember, we were at 10. They did obviously have a lot of support staff, many of which were volunteers in Grey Bruce, including the local ice cream shop, which donated their vaccine freezers. And they had moved a lot of the work up front and it was pretty inspiring. So we were, again, re-enthused. Let's try our model again and test it out. We know that it's going to work. Um, we believe that strongly. And so the first place we went was Martinsville, which is a small town, actually, that's just a few miles outside Saskatoon, the largest city in the province, um, and a small clinic. And then we also went to Regina, where I am, which is our capital city. It's about a quarter of a million people. So Martinsville, where we went first, it was April 1st, Easter weekend, the first day the clinic was open. And the reason they chose Martinsville to pilot it was they had a constraint there and that the facility that they were going to be doing the clinic in was not an everyday clinic. They could not leave the setup there. They had to set it up and tear it down every day because the facility was used for other things as well. So they came up with this patient flow with six stations for each immunizer. Um, kind of made sense since there's six doses in a vial of Pfizer and that's what we were doing at the time and here's what it looked like they had chairs for the clients spaced out 
quite a distance with a little rolly stool you can see for the immunizer to move from chair to chair and a little supply cart with the computer and supplies and everything the immunizer needed to do the job. Behind the curtains on the right there is a resuscitation station and behind the curtains on the straight ahead at the back is the reconstitution station. And they, like Martinsville, did not have the registration clerk's rove. They had a separate registration area. And their plan that day was to do 132 doses with four immunizers. Remember, with a 10-minute cycle time, they only expected each immunizer to be able to do 40 doses a day. And it worked very well. Um, they had great reviews from the clients, um, the staff who were kind of surprised when they walked in that morning, um, came around very quickly and to their credit were more than willing to try something new and different. And we learned, not surprised, that yeah, it, it worked okay and you can get away with minimal infrastructure, which was a little different than the Grey Bruce Hockey Hub model. So next step was to go to Regina, and this is our mass appointment clinic. It's in a show building on our exhibition grounds, and this little um, layout here is not to scale. The yellow boxes on the left that say registration are in fact in a separate area that's about 50 meters away um, and off the screen to the left on this view. We had three pods with 10 immunization stations each in them, separated by black curtains. In actuality, pod three was the smallest of the three, not the biggest. And then down on the bottom right where it says exit is actually the exit to the observation area, which again would be off the screen um, below us and about the same size as our immunization area. And then the clients went from there out a separate door was quite a long walk for many of our clients. But you can see the setup in pods one and two was our traditional setup. A nurse at a six foot size table with two chairs for clients. And the clients were directed into an open station and then got their shot after with again a 10 minute cycle time and went out to the observation area. We set up pod three with six tables. They were actually eight foot tables we used. And again, the same two chairs per table, but only one immunizer per row. So two in the pod. Um, and this is what it looked like. Um, those are the black curtains that separated out each pod. And we had a roving um, cart for our immunizers that had the computer, the sharps bucket, their vaccine supplies, some and-ons so they could signal when they needed more vaccine or other things when they, um, they also had forms there. And we had the chairs facing so the left arm was out because that was the arm most patients preferred. Um, this is a picture of the client station setup where we had some documents on the table and surprise, surprise, when the clients were sitting there and had the documents at the table, they actually did read the aftercare instructions and use the scan me code. We had an and on, of course, to show for what stage the client was at in the process and when the station was cleaned and turned over. Um, and with this, we were able to improve the productivity by 50%. Um, it was pretty amazing, actually, because we made zero changes to the actual immunization task. All we did was remove from the immunizer the non-value-add work for a skilled professional of sanitizing the immunization station. That was instead given to a unit support worker once the client left following their observation period. We removed the non-value-add time of waiting for a patient to walk in to their immunization station. And at the time when you were doing 80 year olds and others, that was significant. It's less of an issue now maybe, but now they're coming in with their children. Um, and most importantly, we also removed the defect of the traffic um, worker, not even seeing that the immunizer was waiting because the curtains were blocking the view um, and they didn't maybe see into the corner. And so we actually added an extra traffic controller to pull clients in to pod three. 
Well, things went so well with pod three in the morning. We had a little lunch con um, consensus meeting and we said, let's try it in pod two. Our fast immunizers had actually been running out of stations um, with only six set up because they were now doing it in four or five minutes. And so the first client was still finishing off their observation period when they were done their line. So we went to pod two with 10 immunization stations for the immunizer and we plan to try roving registration. And if any of you have watched the show, nailed it. Um, we didn't quite, <laughs> um, we didn't quite. Um, so it was, but you learn the most from failure. And we had lots of things we realized that meant we were not set up for success. I mentioned we had done this after a lunch break and not just for our um, Kaizen team, but also for the rest of the clinic, we had been on a slowdown due to lunch breaks. And that meant we now had a snaking lineup of clients who had already come through registration and were able to see us sort of standing around, organizing, preparing, looking like nothing is happening. So I think everyone felt a lot of production pressure. Um, it was made worse when from the very front of the clinic, 10 clients got pulled in past all those who were waiting in line and sat into the empty seats for our new little demonstration pod. The registration clerk who was going to be helping us with this um, by pure fluke ran into a bunch of high needs clients for registration who were out of province, didn't have their health card, didn't qualify, <laughs> number of problems. Um, we had no um, traffic flow and all our senior leadership got pulled away for another little crisis at the time. And because we had been so concerned about the production pressure, we'd filled the pod and now weren't really clear on our flow. And so we quickly just said, no, let's adapt. Um, we went back to registration at the front. We pulled in another immunizer to rove with this one. And we sent those clients out to observation the way everyone was used to, to kind of calm things down. But overall, we had enough success that May 7th, they said, okay, We've run out of vaccine. The clinic is closed for the day. Convert the whole thing to patient first. So here's a bit of a mock-up of how we did that immunization area. And this is what it looked like. Um, on the picture on the left, you can see the curtains that blocked off our supply area, but we had taken them all out of the rest of the clinic. Clients would come in that door you see next to the garbage can and the little um, barricade and would be directed to one of our on-deck circles at the bottom of a lettered row. And then they would be directed into a numbered chair. Um, we estimate we did about 60 PDCAs during the four days of the clinic. Um, one of them is pictured here. We added double chairs to our outside rows, which had a bit more space, just because many clients still do come in with an interpreter, a child, um, with another partner or something. So it was nice to have extra chairs. And we also created a little and-on by turning the chair 90 degrees for when the client was immunized. That turned out to be huge because it meant everyone knew the needle was in the arm, but they were still in the observation period. When they left, it was clear now the station needs to be cleaned and reset up. Um, and it also improved the flow because by fluke, they were now facing the exit directly. <laughs> so again, we had seven rows labeled with letters. We had 68 client stations. One was a little short to leave room at the exit. The chairs were on 10 foot centers. Um, we had four high need stations that we quickly realized that was another PDCA. The age group we're doing now are a lot of younger men who tend to faint with needles. And so we had to pick a couple off the floor um, and decided, no, we'll move them to high need stations before, not believe them when they say they'll be okay this time. Um, this is just the client flow, still like the hockey hub model. They're screened prior to entry in that remote area, come into the on-deck circle or directly to a numbered chair if it's open. They're asked to read the instructions on the back as they wait for the immunizer to arrive so that they are prepared because they're facing the immunizer. So see the process and are learning as it comes to them. 
And as we said, once they have their immunization, they turn their chair 90 degrees and continue to read the aftercare instructions. Um, and when they're done the observation period, they get up and leave. The immunizer flow comes down the row of um, chairs on the left. The clients are flowing in on the right. And here is what we quickly realized. You do have to know your process with some detail around cycle times to make this work well. Um, if you aren't set up properly, um, it means the immunizers will run out of stations if they're too fast and don't have enough chairs, and then they're waiting because there's not an empty chair or station for them. If you have too many and your traffic flow people are keen and enthusiastic and fill up the whole line, um, the clients are waiting unduly, sitting there just waiting and waiting for the immunizer to come to them, not good optics. So the faster the immunizer, the more stations they need, but ideally, you are staying just ahead of them. And that way you also have some empty chairs that act as another visual and on for where the flow is in the line. Um, and we came up with this little formula for how many chairs you need for your immunizer. And it's based on their cycle time because they need 15 minutes in the observation period. And then you need some sort of a buffer and this is just the formula we're using now. We don't know if it's perfect, but it's working for us. And so, as I said, by the end of last week, which was our first week of doing this, we completed a lot of PDCAs. Um, the best ones were around the visual cues, including better and-ons for when they, the immunizer needs more vaccine, when they just need um, expertise from the clinic coordinator around a clinical question, or when they need other supplies, such as and um, wipes or vaccine cards. Another great PDCA was that we instituted team-based management of a pod. And we said a pod would be two lines who would each get their own immunizer and a float. And those three immunizers were responsible for ensuring there was non-stop flow in their two lines. So the float might be used for relieving for coffee breaks might be used to come in and take over a high needs client so the immunizer could continue flowing down her line or might instead take over the line while the immunizer stayed with the high needs clients or pulled them out to one of the high needs areas. Um, really helped with flow. The other thing that is critical, and again, um, anyone with quality improvement training knows what you measure is what you improve. And if you don't measure it, you can't improve it. So we're developing a performance dashboard or a QCDSE set of metrics for each clinic so that they can keep track of how they are doing as we convert to this model across the province. And here's just, an, yes. Sorry to interrupt, but what was that acronym real quick for people who might not be aware? Could you? Oh, the QCDSE? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, so it's five sort of domains of metrics that you know will impact the overall function of your process. Q stands for quality, very customer-based as a rule. We're using lead time, obviously. Clients care about that. Um, C is cost. So, you know, what's it costing you in terms of number of staff? D is delivery. How much work are you actually putting through in the time you want? S is safety. Um, we're using things like not getting the right number of doses out of the vials or wasting them um, or other adverse events. And E is engagement or morale. And where I come from, our engagement metric is how many ideas we implement for employees. Um, for RE, we're using staff satisfaction as well. So, But this is the one that obviously um, the voice of the business cares about, and that is productivity gain. And because, as I say, our nurses are in such demand, we would prefer that we need fewer nurses to do the same work safely and efficiently without pressures. So the doses per immunizer um, went up. Um, you can see some dips. Those middle days, we had two days of, um, well, one day we had two batches of oriented of orientees for new immunizers, um, some other reasons, but we did improve productivity. And remember, we made no changes to the value add portion of the immunizer work. 
nor did we actually make any changes to how we scheduled patients. They're still coming in every 10 minutes. So when we were fast, our immunizers were still waiting for clients because there was nobody in the lineup anywhere. Um, and we also had not yet changed our staffing um, total numbers because um, in our environment, you can't cancel a shift without having to pay the person anyway. So um, we did see improvements. And this is what we needed on the last day for our six lanes, the number of total staff in the clinic. We actually think we may be able to get away with less, but certainly as our cycle times improve, we expect we will need more staff to support the immunizers. Um, and again, this is not a perfect formula, but it's what worked for us. Um, on Friday, Martinsville did this patient first format as a walk-in clinic, no appointments, and again, saw a productivity increase. Now they did do some work around the value add portion for the immunizers in that they were using pre-filled syringes. Um, the, pre the reconstitution staff did that instead of the immunizer. And many places in the world have been doing this, if you see the news. Um, and we're now starting as well in Saskatchewan. And they also um, had the clients read the vaccine screening questions before the immunizer got to them. And it meant that the immunizer could spend less time on the details about, are you pregnant or breastfeeding? Um, have you had COVID? Um, have you had another vaccine? Because the client already was expecting them. So they were able to shave a few minutes off the cycle times as well. So um, I don't have a watch in front of me, but we're getting close to the end of my part. And here again is that slide we saw at the start about the beauty of the patient first model. It really is customer friendly. Um, we were able to interview clients at the end of their observation period every day through this. And uniformly, clients are very, very happy in a vaccine clinic and give you rave reviews. Um, they don't like it when you make them change the mask they wear for a medical mask. But the clients who happened to have experienced both clinic models, our previous one with the three sort of separate stages, and the patient first model, um, all said they preferred that only having to move to one chair. They felt it, it just felt calmer and less glommed together and crowded and chaotic. Um, as you've heard, it's adaptable to any cycle time from 10 minutes to one minute for your immunizer. You just have to match the cycle times of the rest of the staff in the clinic to that. And it's adaptable to any clinic size from the nice, friendly, little small town coffee row format in Martinsville and 100 doses a day or a few hundred to the Grey Bruce Hockey Hub with a few thousand doses a day. Um, you will see, as I said, fewer supplies. You cannot believe how much we hauled back to our supply area from our immunization area when we were setting up for this. Um, fewer skilled staff, which are in short supply right now, and space again. And as I said, that's better for everyone when you do that. Now, we, we aren't anywhere close to done or, or perfect. We've still got lots to learn and to try. We, we are not daunted by our nailed it afternoon. We do want to try registration roving to the client. Um, we think there might be some merit in exploring that roving supporter with the immunizer so they don't have to also do the data entry because quite frankly, typing into a computer is not skilled work for a nurse. Um, we really believe we could get some benefits if we had more patient, plain language patient materials. I recently saw an article published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal about explaining the consequences long-term of ICU stays to patients. And most of our material is in fact geared for grade 12 or university level education, not the goal of grade six to eight you want for patient materials. Um, and most importantly, as I was chatting um, earlier with Mark, is um, in Saskatchewan, like everywhere, we're a political environment and we are 
having to deal with different decision makers and um, different plans every day. And like everyone in the world, learning more about COVID every day. And it seems we're having to be adaptive and resilient and learn something new every time. So I'm more than happy to take some questions, but I think just before we do that, um, Mark, I'll turn it back to you. All right. Well, thank you, Joy. You are great on time. You said it would be 30 minutes. And I think other than me interrupting you for the clarification, you would have been right, right on that. <laughs> so, um, so please uh, go ahead and um, continue submitting questions using the Q&A, preferably. But um, a few announcements first, if you can advance it, please. I want to tell you about our upcoming webinars. We've got two more this week, actually. Uh, if you are a Kinexus customer, you can register for training team office hours with Adam and Noah. You can uh, attend that uh, tomorrow. And then we have a panel discussion on Thursday. We have a little more specific information now than saying some Kinexus customers. We have a panel discussion with representatives from two very different organizations. This is going to be very interesting. UMass Memorial Health. And uh, Crosby's, a company that does molasses and other food products. So process improvement uh, across many industries and many boundaries. Uh, we're going to have an interesting panel discussion with them on Thursday. You can register for both of these right now by going to kinexus.com slash webinars. Also want to tell you, if you can advance it, please, um, other resources. We have our webinar library, the Continuous Improvement Webinars on Demand Library. You can find that, again, by going to kinexus.com slash webinars. Click on the icon that you see on the right-hand side. You can also find the webinars on the Kinexus YouTube channel if you search there. We have a blog at blog.kinexus.com. We invite you to check that out. And we also have a podcast. I think that's my next announcement. No, I threw myself off. So earlier, Joy mentioned Vaxinexus. So that is a weekly group that gets together for a Zoom call every Tuesday night. We'll be doing that again. But that group was formed from people who were using a free platform that we set up called Vaxinexus. Um, long story short, there was an idea from Helen Zach at the firm Value Capture who said, you know, there are people who are doing great work on process improvement and they want to be able to share that with others. So Kinexus set up a free version of our platform specifically for those purposes. So if you are doing process improvement work related to vaccination like Joy is, uh, we invite you to go to vaccinexus.com. You can register free, for a free account. Um, you can learn from what has already been submitted and we would ask you to please submit examples of your own improvements, no matter how small. And then the last thing to mention will indeed be the podcast. Um, the audio of today's webinar is going to be found in the podcast feed. You can subscribe or follow um, through all of the, the main podcast apps. Okay, so with that, um, we'll advance it. You'll see Joy's contact information. We've got um, a couple of thank you, great job comments. And um, there, there are so many things that we can delve into. Um, one thing I was impressed, I mean, this was a very fresh presentation, uh, including information from Friday, you know, that it demonstrated the, the ideas and the continuous improvements and the PDCAs. I was wondering if you could just elaborate a little bit more on that process, how you or somebody else would submit an idea and how that has typically worked. So, um, Wow. All, all kinds of different ways. Where I am at 3S Health, the idea submission started with what they called green cards. And it's just a little recipe card, um, the size of a recipe card. You write your idea on it. And at your team huddle once a week, you talk about the ideas that have been submitted and decide which ones are great and you will implement and which ones need a tweak and which ones are no, not now. Um, for the SHA, for this vaccine program, that was a just to use, put them in by email. You clicked on the little SHA site, typed in your little suggestion, and it was managed by one of the people on our QI team. And um, that's how it was managed there. Um, at the actual clinics when we were doing this, we had a more 
traditional maybe Kaizen approach with, you know, the great big post-it notes on the wall and everyone could write an idea up on it real time as they thought of something. And we did a little, you know, worked well better if at the end of each day for, you know, things that we found worked really great and what could be better. And so we were able to get lots of suggestions from the staff because of course they're the ones living it and know better um, what is working and what isn't. And, and many of them were, were very simple, you know, turn the chair the other direction, um, um, you know, or, or as I said, um, put a hook on the back of the chair instead of leaving it sitting on the chair. Um, little, little things like that. Oh, change the letters to A, B, C, D, E instead of E, D, C, B, A. Why, why we did it that way the first time, who knows? But so and those are the letters for, for what again? For the, for the rows in the ah, clinic. Labeling the rows. Yeah. Okay. And, and so one of the traffic directors had a great idea too. We would say go to row A and then the seats were numbered, but quite frankly, the numbers were a little too small to see mm-hmm. from the back. And, and, but we had them sequentially and she would call it go to seat number A10. You know, just like you're in an arena, you know, at the hockey game or a baseball game and just made it a little easier. And, and and this is as much a culture as it is about the mechanics, whether it's a, a web form or post-it notes or a bulletin board, that's that culture has been um, cultivated for quite a while now, right? Well, yes, for sure, Mark. You know, and I said at the start that we were not starting from scratch and, and we've used quality improvement tools and lean management, not just lean process improvement tools in Saskatchewan for a while. So so our operational leads are all versed in the whole culture of continuous improvement and had already done amazing work on short notice to get us where we were when I just kind of jumped in as a readiness and optimization team. Yeah. Um, so, you know, questions about the U-cell. Um, one, do, does this model work? Do you have both 15 minute and 30 minute observations, depending on the patient's uh, risk of allergy? So uh, we do have some who take a little longer in that because of um, an anaphylaxis history or things. And and now we pull them off into the high needs stations. Mm. When Martinsville was first starting it, they had enough chairs that it wasn't an issue um, because we had 10 minute cycle times. But yes, in any process, if you want things to flow smoothly, it's built for those 80% routine, you know, things are just flowing the way you expect. Whenever you get something that takes a little extra TLC or, or what I always called the art of medicine, not the science, for those that need that special touch, you need a way to pull them out of the process. So an example, you know, is, is those high need stations. And we use them for people who just have some hesitancy and extra questions, people who have anaphylaxis, people who have um, fainting histories, people who have modesty concerns and don't want to expose their arm in front of others. Um, any Anyone that's, as I say, not you're just put a needle in my arm, I want to get back to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you didn't have so yeah, thank you for the answer about having that high needs area. But it, otherwise, if there was variation, that's part of why you have the buffer seats. Is that correct? Part of why you have the buffer seats. Part of why we have the float as well mm-hmm. now. Um, yeah, and also we realize that, of course, people are people, and so we aren't all that standardized yet in our immunizer times and. And so they just naturally sort of spread out. And one of the things we saw them doing sometimes to help was leapfrogging each other. You know, they would have two immunizers in a line if one was falling down. And that caused trouble for the traffic people. Um, but but it, it did work. Um, yeah. um, so you mentioned, I had a follow-up question about the cycle times. And you talked about a range of being from 10 minutes to one minute different elements of how the work is set up is leading to that variation. It's not that it's taking somebody 10 times longer to do the same work. Can you talk about some of the dynamics? What, what are some of the ways you would set up flows, let's say the medication, the, the vaccine to help 
support a one minute flow because it's not about being faster. It's taking work off of the, the inoculator immunizer. Right, right. And making sure that everyone is working to full skill set. So obviously the part that matters to the client is that needle in the arm. In reality, all the rest of it is non-value add for the client, but some of it is required. So um, here's an example. Before you can enter our clinics, you have to be screened for COVID. We don't let you in if you might have COVID. Well, when I went to the hospital to get my cast off, they did that by me doing an online um, form through my physician's office staff. When I went for a physio appointment for my hand, um, it was done by the, the office secretary or booking clerk phoning me at home to say, are you okay? But no, we have people stopping you at the door of our clinics and asking you the questions. Well, we could move that mm-hmm. somewhere else in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, Gray Bruce had the clients fill out their entire registration and consent form ahead of time and bring in five pages to say, look, I've read it all. I'm good to go. I just want the needle in my arm here. Um, They had someone who went with the immunizer to do the data entry. So when the nurse saw that, yes, everything is good to go, they didn't have to do that part of it. Pre-filled syringes saves 30 seconds to a minute and quite frankly, also prevents error. Mm -hmm. That can be done as a separate um, I think you, your phrase was sub-assembly area. But basically, yeah. you you move that into, quote, setup phase, not the actual cycle time phase. Um, the aftercare instructions, quite frankly, there is 10 times as much talking done by some immunizers as others. Mm-hmm. Some say, scan the QR code and please read them. It's, you know, it'll tell you what to expect. Others chat and go into great detail about what they should expect for the next three days after their vaccine. Um, So the more that you can piece out to others what is the true um, work they can do as opposed to the immunizer, and then standardize that to reduce variation. Any reduction in variation is improvement. (laughs) So yeah, and giving those aftercare instructions, like don't don't start giving recommendations of what you should watch while you're resting on the couch. That's that's kind of out of scope, right? Well, and just like really, I guess for me as an anesthesiologist, a vaccine is just another drug, mm-hmm. and and we give a million drugs to a million clients every day, and yeah. and. Um, some of it is the patients are actually able to manage their own care as well to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, you mentioned the cycle times and the pre-filled syringes, you know, two indoor clinics that I had a chance to go visit um, UCSD um, health um, and, and the, the university in San Diego, the cycle time was about a minute, 15 seconds per patient. And that was with pre-filled syringes. But they had the issue that you brought up of waiting for the next patient to come. (laughs) So the tables, like the work at the table was very efficient because they had offloaded some work from the inoculator to somebody else who was entering data and communicating. And that was a a well-designed balance of work. But then they would lose 50% capacity because if they were the furthest from the entry point, um, they, they would be just sitting waiting for the next patient to come. So I like how your U-cell addresses that. Um, in Frisco, Texas, I had a chance to visit a site that was kind of uh, co-designed and co-managed by the city of Frisco and Toyota in their TSSC group. Their cycle times are almost exactly one minute. They also had, um, you could call it a subassembly or a feeder cell that was pre-filling syringes and delivering them as needed. They addressed that dwell time waiting for the next patient by putting what they called an on-deck chair, sort of six feet away from the table. So they would fill that spot if it was available. And then it was a very short walk and a very uh, quick delay. So the number of patients per hour yeah, I think was, uh, I'm sure, greatly increased by that. And they said that was that was a Kaizen improvement. That was not their original design. So for anyone who puts pressure on themselves and said, well, uh, we, we didn't design a perfect process. I bet Toyota would. Well, it's okay. They, they didn't. There is no perfect. It was just well-designed and then better. And it sounds like you've done a lot of that too. Yeah. 
Well, and, you know, um, I've actually been watching the news a little more closely, and it looks like some places in Europe are doing the roving immunizer as well. Um, And so there's many ways that you can find um, changes and improvements to make, and you're never going to be done. There's always something else you can add. And, you know, but definitely um, we know that this model is more efficient. Um, We as I said, our sort of standard was 40 doses per immunizer per day. And with this, we've seen anywhere from 60 to 100, mm-hmm. um, just because you remove the non-value-add portions. Yeah. 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 And now you talk about, you know, this uh, prior lean experience, um, and you only had one month to set things up. Can you talk a little bit, uh, do you use the terminology 3P or do you call it 2P? Can you talk um, a little bit about that? Did that help you get up and running quickly? That that prior experience of having a systematic way of preparing your process. I guess I um, I jumped into this, Mark. When, as I say, the the readiness team was pulled together in February. I suspect the operational teams that started the the vaccine clinic work in December um, had all have some lean training and, and mm-hmm. sort of knew how to do it. And so I guess I, I don't know enough to answer that question. Okay. Um, we have used sort of um, a team-based design for a, a greenfield, you know, a brand new clinic, a brand new process. And I don't know if they use that or not here, but. Okay. Yeah. I think I've read about that in, in um, you know, some of the Saskatchewan healthcare. Yeah. Um, lean work. Um, so a couple of the, you know, and these are real detailed questions about the operation of the U cell. When you open the doors, do you initially just fill the pod or do you pace oh. patients in sort of based on the cycle? Time? Yeah. So that's another learn the hard way, best way to learn. Uh-huh. So, so um, here's one of the glitches, the doors to the clinic open at eight 30 and at our site, 14 patients are booked for 830. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when we were doing the 80-year-olds, the ones for 850 and 9 o'clock and, and in the next two hours all came right early. So we had this huge batch, but I said it's still single piece flow because there was a door that was only wide enough for one person to fit through. <laughs> and, so, and so they still came in one at a time. And, and that was a key training piece. We had to get our traffic coordinators to, to not get too flustered by that big lineup and instead think to, to give each immunizer um, one or two clients to start with. Do mm-hmm. not fill a row. Mm-hmm. And ideally, this takes discipline, skip a row just so that there's a little more physical space as they start moving down their line. They're not all sort of at the same stage of the process. Mm. Um, And then just stay a couple ahead of them. If you fill the line and you happen to, you know, run into a high needs client or the line slows down for some reason, those clients all sitting there waiting and watching, it's just like at Safeway. And they see the line next to them, you know, that's got the Johnny on the spot, um, mm-hmm. quick line. And they're saying, how come I didn't get that one? <laughs> you know, right. and so so the traffic flow really is a, a key part of this. Um, and you, as we learned, actually, at our Vaccine Nexus Tuesday evening webinars, you need someone with a little bit of an extroverted, authoritative um confident personality uh, the the shrinking violet can't tell someone to please go to seat 4b um, <laughs> you need someone with a little more um, here's another quick pdca we learned if you if the traffic person stood directly behind the last chair in the row and then waved the client in they did go up the right side of the chair instead of weaving up one side or the other yeah. you know standing one foot away made a difference um, you're talking about it's just the, the general point of fitting the right person to the right role, which happens in all sorts of processes. When my wife went to go get vaccinated, I, I wasn't all come inside with her. So I, I had to sit outside and I observed that part of the process for a while. <laughs> and as patients were arriving, walking up, there was a woman who would was very frequently yelling out, um, we're doing Moderna today. Welcome. 
we're doing Moderna today because I think that was part of the check if you were coming for a second shot, trying to filter out, wait a minute, I yeah. have Pfizer. And, and, and she was talking to somebody and, and said loudly, because I heard it from fairly far away, like, oh, I'm, I'm great for this job because I have a loud voice. And, <laughs> you know, she, yes. and she enjoyed that interaction with people. So um, one of our traffic controllers in the drive through where you had to wave cars into this huge building would, was dancing as she waved the cars in like she was just <laughs> made for that job. <laughs> yeah. um, another question here. Um, this is coming back more um, kind of a different level. Um, so I don't know if, if you'll have thoughts on this, but um, Shauna asked, she said, first off, very nicely presented. Um, how are you incorporating evidence based pain practices? To support, you know, the literature says 25% of adults have needle fear, anxiety, or concerns about pain. Um, if, if this is unaddressed, they might not come back for their second dose. Do, do you have perspectives on that? Um, well, I guess we haven't seen 25% who are needle phobic or shy, but maybe they're so phobic they're not even coming. Yeah, they're probably not. <laughs> or, going to, yeah, yeah or, or maybe... As I say, our government is now tied reopening to vaccination uptake. And so we've got a pretty motivated population. Uh Um, And so part of the aftercare instructions include things like saying, you know, expect your arm to be a little sore, but take Uh some acetaminophen or ibuprofen ahead of time. um, And that will help. Um, The vaccine itself is not significantly different from flu vaccine or other shots in terms of the sort of what to expect for aftercare. So um, we haven't seen a lot of big issues with pain management. Um, And I guess because we've got a delayed second dose strategy, we don't have any data on whether or not people will be reluctant for that. Um, So can't speak to that part of it. I I do know that we have seen not so much problems with pains with pain with um, second doses, just with sort of malaise and fever and and general things, but still much less than COVID itself. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, the day I got the J and J shot and the day after I had a mild fever of a hundred for about six hours, took a couple naps and I was feeling totally fine before I even went to bed that day, like you said, I'll take that over COVID. Um, maybe one last question here, because I, I think from seeing the pictures and the different designs, you know, the first one had the gray Bruce model had the, the large barriers and you talked about really disinfecting the chair between patients. Then, then you see, you know, there's no barriers and is some of that just sort of based on better understanding about, what's really necessary if people are wearing masks and they're distanced? Was it decided the barriers weren't necessary or can you talk about Um, that thought process? Yeah. Well, in Martinsville, the barriers weren't possible because we had to set up and tear down every day. I have the impression in Gray Bruce, it's a, um, if you look like patients are, are very close together because the the pods are separated. So they have just six feet apart Mm -hmm. and, and so I think it was a space constraint that they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we, we quite frankly, like the better visuals of being able to see. And so without the barriers. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and if you keep people six feet apart with the mask on, we know that is sufficient. Um, in fact, there's more and more evidence coming that the cleaning the chairs in between clients is kind of waste and maybe actual harm for the environment. Um, but for now, we are still cleaning chairs and wiping down the laminated instructions there and trying to avoid paper. Um, and so, as I say, we're, we're learning more about COVID every day, right. but um, the no barriers are important. And, you know, I'll say if the one client we had the one day, if he'd have been in a pod, um, he went unconscious sitting in his chair when he fainted. And I don't know, if you would have noticed that as quickly as we did otherwise. That's a good point. That is a yeah. very good point. Well, and, and, and that topic had come up, um, you know, the type of thing we've talked about during the vaccine access calls and people sharing their perspectives on their practices of what their organization and their state or their country 
is doing. So um, Joy, thank you for participating in those calls along the way. Thank you um, so much for sharing what you've done today. You know, it's very innovative and I think there are a lot of great lessons learned um, for the audience to take away. I think there's applications to look at here in the future when we're doing flu shot clinics or even looking at applications of care. How can we bring care to the patient? I think is a really thought provoking um, and, and as you've shown and shared with us today, really beneficial idea. So thank you for that. Is, is there any uh, final final thing you'd like to say before we close? Well, just it's been my pleasure today. And I, as I say, we have learned a lot um, from others in the world. And um, if we have something that we can share to sort of pay back that debt, it's great. We're all in this together. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for that joy. And there are thank yous from the participants coming in the chat. So again, um, everyone, thank you for attending. You'll receive an email tomorrow with a link uh, to the slides and the recording. Um, if uh, you are antsy to get hold of that, um, go to our YouTube channel. It'll be available later this afternoon, and it'll also be in our podcast feed. So if you go and look for that or subscribe, you'll get notified. Um, so Joy, thank you uh, so much. I guess I'll, I'll talk to you later later today. All right. All right. See you then, Mark. <laughs> Thank you. Stuart Bellamy says, great job. Thanks for being here, Stuart. Our mutual Thanks for mentoring me, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Bye now.